0: Hello Convention of State podcast listeners, normally we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. Today we give you a conversation between Convention of State's President Mark Meckler and board member Eric O'Keefe. This recording was made at the 2019 COS Leadership Summit. Enjoy!
1: An infinite number of ways to waste your time and money in politics. <laughs> the, um I don't intend to try to prove it, but just about any major you know engagement level that you can touch in politics, I've tried to get in on third party, 1980 and uh, candidate campaigns, party work, reorganizing parties, issue work, um, and the the biggest one I did before uh, working with Mark was the term limits movement. I drafted well, we I drafted a memo recommending that we take initiatives on term limits to every state initiatives where the states would limit the terms of their own congressional delegations only. It's a great idea, come up with, Terry Terry Constantine came up with it in Colorado. So by May of 1995, 23 states in the union had limited the terms of their own congressional delegations. An amazing thing to do because arguments, (laughs) I remember the fun polling on this thing, polling question. If you impose term limits in your states, you're going to lose your most senior representatives. Does this make you more likely or less likely to support? More likely one. (laughs) So, So contra the claims of the condescending media who say that, oh, people say they don't like Congress, but they love their own guy, people, when given a choice about the structure, would prefer to limit their terms and have turnover. That's, that's been pervasive ever since it was polled in the early 1950s. We don't have it, which is a sign of that we don't have representative government. Uh, and, and those 23 states, by the way, on May 23, 1995, the U.S. Supreme Court voted 5 to 4, that the states cannot limit the terms of their own delegations. They did it with a paragraph written by the recently deceased Stevens, Justice Stevens, uh, 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 saying voters, uh, that voters get to choose who represents them. Um, in this twisted decision, Kennedy was the swing vote against us in a five to four. Justice Thomas, the great Justice Thomas, wrote a terrific dissent. So they threw away three years of work and millions of dollars, and most importantly, millions and millions of votes of people across the country, and basically said incumbent members of Congress have a special right to access to the ballot. Um, a really horrible decision. Um, it, it was just plain wrong on the Constitution, and uh, it was one of the reasons we got stuck. At the time, by the way, 1993, uh, the House of Representatives had been in Democratic hands since 1954, 1954 to 1994. Um, there was a lot of frustration, and uh, I think the whole history of the country would have been changed had. The state's been able to limit terms of their own delegations. but So that was have assignment on that. Then we tried, but a, actually before that, I, I got to speed up a little because in the 80s, one of my forays was to try to get an article five convention for a balanced budget amendment. And actually, is that? Are we
0: in trouble? Are we going to explode? What's
1: going on there? <laughs> I think. I think the same yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: With Eric, that's possible
1: sadly true. <laughs> <laughs> the, so, uh, balanced budget amendment, National Tax Riders Union, have been promoting one since the 70s, Article 5 applications. They got to 32 states, quietly, by the way. So, that's one of the reasons that I'm not in favor of us doing this quietly. <laughs> they did it quietly, and then we had two more states to go, and I was engaged in trying to help them in Ohio and Kentucky, and something that won't shock you, this is 1985. So, we're in the capitals, Kentucky, in Ohio, and who is there to testify against us? Uh, Phyllis Schlafly, John Birch Society, and the AFL-CIO. Um, the Strange stil- bedfellows. They're still all together an- again. Yeah, and so this coalition blocked us, killed us, and since then some people repealed and so forth. So we saw that basically they didn't bring muscle till <clears throat> till it got close, and it really wasn't as close as it looked. Uh, fast forward to that decision I just mentioned, the horrible 5-4 decision. So we decided, we with my recommendation, hey, let's do Article 5. So on term limits, we started to push around the country for Article 5 applications not doing a low profile. We, we tried to, well anyway, they, it just didn't do well. And I had viewed term limits as a shortcut to uh, reviving representative government. Part of the reason was that in studying the 19th century the American political system, I saw that turnover was high. It used to be called rotation in office, and I, I made what uh, it would be called in Latin, a post hoc era. I thought if we can recreate the turnover of the 19th century, we'll contain the government as it was contained then. Incredibly, government spending, the best estimates I can get, state, local, federal, in, 17, in 1800 was about 4%, almost all, by the way, state and local, 4% of the economy. and in, 1890, it was 5%. And that's after the Civil War and the crankdown. So incredible, this dynamic, booming country, booming population and, it's, and government is contained and there's high turnover in the legislature and the average time served in the US House of Representatives at the beginning of a session in the 19th century was 2.2 years, 2.2 years. So how did the, I, So I thought, well, let's recreate that. Well, so we did it. We started in, 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 we did Congress and state legislatures, uh, both. And today, after history that'll i skip, 15 states have state legislative term limits as a consequence of that movement. And I must say, I'm disappointed in the results of that. One of the states is California. (laughs) (laughs) Don't really need
0: to say anymore, do you?
1: It's unfair of me to look at this Texan when I think of California, (laughs) but he's only been a Texan for half a year. Um, It's just been disappointing, so uh, actually the the discipline enforced uh, that forced rotation in office that caused Abraham Lincoln to be a one-term member of the House, for example, was state party (coughs) discipline, state party mandatory rotation from the old parties, and that's a long gone party system where the voters didn't have to pay much attention to the candidates because the parties were the nominators and the information providers and the creators of newspapers, the recruiters, the trainers, and the candidates were agents, representatives of the party. And and that system was blown up by who? The progressives, deliberately attacked it, legislated it out of existence in various ways from 1895 to 1910 which I'll, I'll skip here. But so I had already studied this history because my typical my, my political progression was um, uh, you know, find a problem, uh, grab what I know, attack and do something, lose and go back and then read and study and figure out why I lost, so. Let's it, go
0: to where we intersect. Yeah. I, <clears throat> this is one of the favorite stories of my political life. <laughs> so Eric reached out to me through a third party that we both knew and asked to have a meeting with me. This is during the height of the tea party. And so at this point, i would become cynical and paranoid, both, <laughs> and both totally justified, I'd like to add. <laughs> and so I, I didn't know who Eric was, and so I did some research and I found some guy that he had worked with that I really didn't like. And so I, I said to the intermediary, tell Eric I'm, I'm not interested in meeting with him. And so she did, and Eric was very insistent, and she came back and said, he really wants to meet with you. And I said, look, just tell him that he worked with this guy, and and because of that, I'm really not interested in meeting with him. And so she went back and told him, and he sent a message back, and the message was, tell Mark I like him even more for saying that. (laughs) I don't work with him anymore. I thought, okay, I'll meet with this guy. So we met, and, uh, and I fell in love with him as a person, and I understood his love for the country, his patriotism, his intellect, his fascination with history, which I had only recently become fascinated with, so I was able to start learning from him immediately. And we started working together in the early Tea Party days. And so when Mike Ferris brought uh, Convention of States to us, one of the first people that I wanted to give me his opinion on it because I I had now sort of bought in was Eric, because if Eric had said, no, we we can't do this, uh, then I would have said, no, at this point, by the way, we had formed up Citizens for Self-Governance. I'm skipping ahead because we have a limited amount of time. We formed up Citizens for Self-Governance. This is the blessing of somebody like Eric, who's such a great patriot, when I was leaving the Tea Party Patriots and there was all kinds of stuff going on, I was getting ready to leave politics and Eric and Tim Dunn said to me, you need to stay in politics, you, you know, we need you in. And I said, I have no idea what to do. And they said, that's okay, we'll figure out how to fund it. <laughs> that's rare, I just want you to know. So I was really blessed, so we started doing stuff. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but with Eric's help and Tim Dunn's help, we sued the IRS, you guys know that? Yeah, it was another impossible thing. Actually. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm glad
1: Mark is steered uh, back to this. By the way, we, we, we sued the IRS using the law firm that uh, handled my fight in Wisconsin and, and knocked down the law and got a decision that said the whole prosecu- prosecutorial attack was conducted without foundation in reason or law in a state Supreme Court ruling. So the Graves Garrett firm out of Kansas City, great patriot firm. But um, here, here's a, a piece of this. So Tim Donnell speaking to us Sunday morning. has been a key part of this. Tim had known Mike Ferris from back to early HSLDA days. He, was, he had homeschooled his six children when it was kind of a pioneering thing to do. And Tim is in the oil business out of Midland and a part of the, the, the fracking, horizontal fracturing revolution and uh this this is just a tiny peek into that industry that i, I, I used to find more puzzling than i do now because i've tried to study it but uh um uh tim said five six years ago he said oh people for, from foreign uh, oil companies come over here and we should, we let them look we show them the, what we're doing tell them what we're doing and uh, these are big you know companies out of the middle east and out of europe and uh and I said, oh, and uh, you know, are they going to be able to do anything with it? And he said, no, they won't be able to replicate it. It requires the, the American system. It requires the private property and the really complex array of small companies. And a big centralized company coming in here, they won't be able to have the, econ- the efficiencies that we have here. Now he took me to a fracking site a few years ago, and Kronkrest, which is a big operator in the whole Permian Basin. Uh, they, they used, I believe, 35 different companies over a three-week period to drill a frac site. And Croncrest had one employee on site, one employee sitting in a trailer thing looking at a computer, just one. And so this is a fabulously rich orchestration customized by, even 100 miles away, they might have a little different mix. Part of what he showed me, by the way, was sand from Wisconsin out in West Texas because we have the best sand, by the way. We, we <laughs> what a claim no, to fame, Aaron. We have no oil. We have Ottawa White, round, hard sand. It holds up better at depth. So this is Tim, who has analyzed the structure, trained in, in geology. When I met him, he was pretty new to politics and I had found many ways to fail. So he would come up with these ideas and I would say, no, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. That's what's kind of the refrain for all. And we got with Mark and we had these neat meetings where, we stud- where t- 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 Tim would help draw these charts on, t- he's a structured system guy. Structure system, not personnel. What's the structure? People work within a structure. Often, they don't understand the structure they're in. I bet you have run into this with state le- legisl- legislators, by the way. <laughs> They don't actually know their authority. They kind of don't know what they're doing, and we and you know we can't really hold that against them. We have to just work with it. So we do this kind of kind of stuff we did in the oil business with government. And before uh, the talk with Mike, we had already come to the point where we understood the very limited leverage points, primary elections, just very limited, and how most types of engagement feed the system. The system evolved to. You know, respond to lobbying reinforces it. All kinds of things reinforce it. That's what Mark ran into as a Tea Party leader when he went to Washington. They were just going to suck him up, treat him nice. He could meet with the Speaker. He could have been wined and died. He could have made good money, and he could have just joined the system, and then been turned around like most congressmen, turned around and become basically a sales rep for the swamp. (laughs) But Mark didn't do that. And, uh, And what the reason I persisted in trying to get with Mark Meckler? is because a couple years into Tea Party fame, the guy had not been sucked up by the Republican part of the swamp. So I thought, this guy's different. <laughs> <laughs> different is correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I had no answers. Now, I want to come to Mike Ferris and just say that, so after, and Mark was almost kind in saying I had 30 years in politics because, by the way, it's, it's now 40. But so I have 40 years of a lot of political engagement. Um, and, and so I can't actually remember another time when a person changed my mind on something significant politically in a phone call. It's just really hard to do. I don't want to discourage people from calling me with ideas, by the way. But to, to, it's one thing, a new idea of a way to do things. We have, Mark and I know that most decisions of how to do things in your states, you're going to have to make. What to do, what steps, and so forth. But in terms of strategy, for someone to change my mind is like, there's just not much point. And in one phone call, Mike Ferris changed my mind. So Tim knew him from Homeschool Legal Defense. I had already shot down several Tim ideas. So we really were, we just knew. By the way, we had come to this thing what is the big question in politics? And this is a big, big dividing line. It's between policy and process. Policy and process. This is a process operation. Our concern is who decides. Who decides, where's the locus of power? Who decides, who decides, who decides? Politicians are trained by consultants to use policies as as sales props. That's the the business of political marketing is largely trying to study the voters and pick policies and claims and use them to get into power and then do whatever you wanna do. That's just the corrupt system that has evolved. So actually, there's not much of a cue based on what politicians say as to what they'll do. Not much of a cue. In fact- hey,
0: Eric, what did Mike say to you that convinced <laughs> you? Because I mean, you, were, you came into that conversation opposed to, not, not, not opposed for the same reasons that we hear all the time, but opposed because you just didn't feel like it would work.
1: Well, I was 0 for 2, right? I was 0 for 2 on application. So here were the two key, key things. Um, uh, And uh, the first was, so how are you going to get these applications? Well, we're going to have at least 100 engaged people in every state legislative district. Sound familiar? Yeah. The plan. At least 100 engaged people. Now, I had matured enough in life not to to say what I thought at the time, by the way. (laughs) What I thought was, there's 350 house districts in New Hampshire, and there's not very many in California. So it's not gonna be 100 per district because we don't need 35,000 people in New Hampshire and we might need 35,000 in California. I didn't say it, I'm really proud of myself. So, <laughs> because that's actually kind of a nitpicky thing and, and Ferris would have known that, right? He would have known, you just adjust a little bit. But that's a lot of organized people. But here was the line that really got me because I said, so because it's article five, you know, it's just a phrase in there, and Congress shall call. And I said, what if we get 34 applications and Congress does nothing? What do we do? And this is what Farrah said we have a convention. And that. (laughs) There's so much in that sentiment. There's so much in that sentiment because we don't need their permission. And fundamentally, where we come from, we don't need their permission. We don't need anybody's permission. And uh, to go back to something I know that was dealt with at length last night, but the single most important word, this is a recent opinion of mine. This is not a religious point I'm gonna make, it's really not. I have been in my life a Catholic, an agnostic, <clears throat> an atheist, a Christian, and a Catholic. That's where I am now, by the <laughs> way. So I'm, all of those times I was determined to govern myself, all of those times, and I know people in each of those categories. So I'm, not making, a, I'm making a political point out of the capital letter endowed by our creator, the capital letter. Written by basically probably a deist Jefferson and approved by a deist Frank definitely a deist Franklin. Okay, creator. Because where does that put the, our authority, our ability, our, our right to govern ourselves? It's not from any government. That's what that's saying. It's saying we have it and you can, wherever it came from, it's not from our, our fellow men we don't need anybody's permission to govern ourselves. That is in there, in, endowed by our creator. And so... So Mike knew it, he knew it. And, and Mike also, and then I, I gotta put it back to Mark, but. No, what Mike did was civil disobedience with Homeschool Legal Defense Association. because Why? Because parents are endowed by their creator with the right and duty to raise their children as they see fit. And so he did it, and then he challenged the government. And by the way, Homeschool Legal Defense Association said, just sign up with our group, and if, you, if the government comes after you, we will represent you pro bono. Okay? That was it. So he knew there, there would be some fights, but there wouldn't be a million you know, attempts to get, you know, to imprison parents. So, and they won litigation through time. They won politically. When they tried to strengthen law against homeschooling in Montana, 5,000 people went to Helena, which I believe is about a third of the population of Helena, (laughs) Montana. It's so muscle. So Mike is saying this to me. And then just to to segue a little bit. So So I also had that example. And when Mark, and I feel slightly guilty about this, but Mark and Tim have been, Totally supportive of me, but this was going to be my main thing to do nationally when we launched, when we decided to do it in the summer of 2013. And October 3rd, 2013, government officials in the dark in Wisconsin raided, did five raids, uh, four on family homes, and gagged me, said I couldn't talk about it, and I was threatened with jail. That was October 3rd and I was taken out of that and had to do a full-time other political fight, out of which I've learned a lot. And so I also, in, in, the, in the wake of uh, Jim too, I had to commit civil dis- disobedience. But what I was defying uh, a judge's gag order with risk of contempt of court under Wisconsin law, but as I said in, in many interviews, I'm def- I have the right to speak, I am defying an unconstitutional gag order. And what I would say to us in our political troubles and what I thought when I thought about, hey, I could coast here. You know, I could coast, right? I could... They they just wanted me to point to donors and politicians and say, oh, yeah, they were doing some bad stuff, which they weren't. But um, I I could have kept my profile lower. I could have hidden behind a tree. I didn't even consider that for a minute. And this, I know... Everyone I know has this attitude. And and, uh, I was in very unusual, favorable circumstances to fight it. I don't believe that... What I did was, I I believe I did what I had to do and what you would have done if you were in my circumstances. They were great circumstances to push back because my 35 years of political contentions, networking, I was able to find lawyers, raise money, get to the Wall Street Journal, do a ton of stuff that other people just couldn't do. So I was positioned to do it, perfectly positioned to do it. So so I got to blow it up. But here's, here's where we are in the country. If it's as bad, if it's so bad, they're going to send people in the dark to family homes. Um, Then, and if they're going to throw me in jail, I want to know it. I don't want to duck it. I want, if that's how it is, I want the fight now.
0: Before we go to the questions, Eric, there's, there's one last kind of big picture question that I want you to address. Something you and I have been talking about a lot lately offline. Uh, by the way, this is something that we do all the time. Eric and I and Tim, uh, that's kind of the core of the board. Patty with us, Eric's wife, uh, Leslie Graves, who runs Ballotpedia, by the way. If you guys don't know about Ballotpedia, you should know about Ballotpedia, right? Great organization. And we have these philosophical discussions about literally about everything, philosophy, religion, family, politics, physics, you name it. We talk about all of it, but we talk a lot lately about where are we headed as an organization? What does it mean to be part of this broader organization? Because you've seen this, there's the a new slogan on our buttons. It says convention of state still, but it says it's more than a convention. And so we wanna talk a little bit about what that means and what the broader vision is for the organization, because I can just tell you for sure it's not enough to call a convention. That's just not enough. We're just getting started. And I know we're not there yet, we're gonna get there, but we're still just getting started. So Eric, you wanna talk a little bit about the broader vision?
1: Yeah, and uh, by the way, Convention of States, I've loved it ever since that Ferris phone call. It so richly captures, it reaches back to the founding and, and to the principles touched on last night and today too, right, it says, look, it's our country, we get to govern ourselves, and the decisions about it should be made as close to home as possible in the family, in the county, in the state. The federal government was created by the independent states that had fought and won the revolution. That's who created it. They sent delegates to Philadelphia. It was created in order to create a more perfect union to protect our rights. So that it it, it invites us to remind that and to go to a state legislator, you know, and ask them to fix the country. They're used to people coming in and saying, could you fix the road in front of my house? Or could you fix the school? We're asking them, look, could you take on the responsibility you have? I'm by, you don't say this, I think, but by going to the state legislature, you are stepping up as a citizen and owning a piece of your state and your National government, and you're asking the legislator to step up. You're probably the first person that told them that he actually had the authority to re- re- reign in the federal government. You know, but it's okay that they don't know that yet. They all know it. <laughs> so, so COS is big. There's it's on our banner out there. It's you know a solution as big as the problem. But what we we were in Austin last week with Patty and uh, Brad Cameron talking about. Uh, uh, this and Mark, my overall reaction in Brad's afterwards is, you're ahead of us. You 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 want more. You want uh, in states that have passed applications, you want more. You want more tools. You want more guidance on what to do in states that haven't or that are remote: Illinois, New York, California. What can you do? There are ways to be a citizen every week, every day of the year. We're, we've been short, I think, of serving. And so we're really excited about some of the, do you want me to mention some of the things we're talking about or? Yeah, yeah, briefly. yeah because
0: this, this stuff will be coming down the pike and, and remember what we're talking about today, obviously we're a 501c3 organization. So we're talking about educating you on how to do these things generally.
1: Yeah, and by the way, uh, um, uh, um, as we, We love the process fight, who decides. The most important thing about a convention of states is a convention of states. It's not any particular amendment. Having a convention of states, convening one, will transform the debate, the narrative. It'll mean that all those reporters that live in Washington, D.C. and go to parties there won't be able to cover America from Washington, D.C. anymore. So it's the convention. It's the process of t- asserting our authority. So, um, But some people, it, it, and, and Mark is very, Mark loves y'all, knows y'all, and is very protective of you, by the way, I can tell you. Because if he thinks I'm suggesting that he get you to do something, he'll say, I don't tell them what to do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I don't tell people what to do I, either. I don't even tell Mark what to do. But, uh, <laughs> Um, But um, we're gonna offer ways for citizens to engage and you and anyone you deal with can do what component of citizenship you want to. I do believe that it's a fulfilling uh, key part of being a human being to engage in governance on some level, but people choose their own level. So a couple of things, I'm gonna talk about juries for a minute and then throw it back to you, but so one of the things I've become more interested lately as I've become an expert on the messed up criminal justice system which has in America, we have assembly line injustice, in my view. I, um, I, um, I don't like prosecutors. <laughs> I've sued prosecutors, and I've seen them smear, lie, and uh, one of the things that came out of the John Doe, by the way, is I got to work with a lot of people at the Wall Street Journal, Kim Strassel included, and, uh, and Jim Jordan read about it, Representative Jim Jordan. So part of the educational process of the John Doe fight Help people better understand what was going on in the national effort to undo an election, which is that's all the whole Comey Mueller thing was—a national effort to undo an election—and in, in Wisconsin, the whole John Doe was an effort to undo Walker's election and the change in Union election.
0: Started by the FBI, right? FBI was engaged well, in that. The
1: FBI was at the at some of the raids in the John Doe. The FBI was there. They they have the data. They won't give us. They 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 have the seized information at the FBI, it's, so anyway, so I'm not too high on prosecutors, but jurors traditionally, historically, have authority to decide the facts and the law. This is little use, it's kind of a, and, and judges and prosecutors steer them wrong. So we wanna, I, I want to have a project that I think CSG is gonna adopt of just educating people about the authority that jurors should have. Today, jury duty is viewed as a drudge thing, and in fact, judges and prosecutors try to turn jurors into rubber stamps, and, and they actually tell them in instructions, you only are to decide the facts, not the law. That's not true. No juror even in America has ever been punished for voting not guilty. You as a juror can vote not guilty for whatever reason you want, because you don't like the prosecutor. You- So we, we have jurors sending people to 25-year sentences for minor drug violations who are not told it's going to be 25 years. They, they generally will hide that from the jurors. And they don't know that they don't have to send them there. And often what happens, and just to take one type of example, and the, the, the prosecutors will typically try to turn people involved in any type of touching drugs into an informant. Okay? The informant, gets to stay out there on the street tilting things against the competitors. This is often what happens. They'll try to get into the competing drug dealers network and turn those guys in and actually become a bit of a part of the protection of their own operation. They're out there. Then they run into some poor SAP S to deliver drugs. And he won't talk. 25 years he can get. They're thrown in prison for not turning in somebody else. And the jurors know none of this. And our prisons have thousands of people in who, who, who just shouldn't be in. So anyway, jury and, and jury authority is a tremendously vital power and jurors don't know it and the insiders won't tell them. So this is like another example. You'll find it again and again in our lives that, so here I'm gonna make a sweeping claim. The biggest problem in America is people not acting with the authority they already possess. That's our biggest problem.
0: So, what do you guys think of that idea? Okay, so Eric, I think we're gonna to go to questions now. Rita, do you have some questions you guys have? Okay, we're gonna start with a, a couple from the internet. We've got about 10 minutes left here, so we need to hustle through these, Eric. Um, this comes from our Hawaii State Director, Mark White. What do you suggest Convention of States do at the national level to gain support of nationally recognized leaders and think tanks?
1: Well, nationally recognized leaders and think tanks, uh, different answers nationally recognized leaders. We'll put that in quotes. Um, Keep building, build it and they will come. (laughs) The type of people that want to get elected office are looking up. Mark doesn't look over his shoulder, uh, by the way, he doesn't look over his shoulder to try to figure out how to get in front of a group of people. right? But most people trying to get elected office, they have to do that. They have to look around and see, what could get me elected? What could get me elected? We have to make it a thing that can get them elected, and they will come. Think tanks, that's a different thing. Um, The think tanks that, uh, there there, there are lots of them. And um, I would just say some of them uh, have a, even on the conservative side, have a kind of a centralized view that um, when it comes to national problems, Their their suits are the ones that need to fix it and they have the ideas and the ways. And if they have that, and by the way, at the big ones like Heritage, there's an array of people and some like this and some don't. Um, But I would say that they have a a little bit of a conflict of interest. As long as the problems are centralized in Washington, then the groups with headquarters in Washington have a bigger say in the debate than they otherwise would. So we, we, we can expect some resistance. From the uh, kind of par- parts of the swamp that are pretty cozy in, in the hot tub, um, and I wouldn't, wor- I wouldn't worry about those. Look, this is we are we are true to history. We're true about the rights that we have, and on think tanks too. What I would say we have in the room and speaking this weekend, some of the best thinkers in America on these issues, and the think tanks here's a, the think tanks need to listen to us. That's what they need to do. So I have a feeling that this
0: question was planted by a hometown favorite because it says, should we have our next summit in Spring Green, Wisconsin? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously somebody who knows where you live. (laughs) Not that that's secret anymore since the NSA has you under watch. Uh, I think this is a good one for you specifically. This is from Tate Feller, one of our volunteers in Utah. He says, tell us about the additional persecutions against your life, your property, your honor since the gag order incident
1: um well I, I i just uh i 'll I'll just be kind of brief, but i've tried to i 'm still probing i 'm still learning more about the abuses and uh I, so um i'll just tell one little thing i mean we really are I, I was with Victor Davis Hansen a couple of months ago, and I thanked him for. Uh, this amazing straddle he, he's doing, because he is a serious academic scholar, started the ancient world, Greece and so forth, and he writes columns and now increasingly goes on Fox News and, and talks about contemporary America. Unusual, and he does it, by the way, in a way that is very insightful, very much in tune with the American people. And I just thanked him for that, and and uh, I, I said, I really appreciate that. And he said, well, we live in revolutionary times. and. And um, Mark and I sometimes talk about the terminology, You know, a lot of terminology in politics is military, and I don't like us saying that we're in a, in a war because, because I think that should be pre- preserved kind of for the category of governments killing lots of people. But, re- but they're doing everything short of that quietly, relatively quietly, and as they did in the Doe and the Mueller thing. The Revolutionary Times, here's what he means by that. A substantial faction of elite, elite Americans have walked away from the constitutional agreement about how we resolve disputes. The leaders of the Democratic Party today are not interested in being contained. They're not interested in ever giving up power. We haven't had this since the Civil War, which where both sides thought they were standing kind of on the Declaration of the Constitution in their odd ways. You know, that was really a fight of how do we govern ourselves? This one has a whole faction, the Democratic leaders, saying, you really can't take care of yourselves, we need to do it. So it's revolutionary times. Um, And I I decided uh, over a year ago to, when I was, Mueller was getting more and more attention, I realized, heck, he sent guys into some of the raids in Wisconsin. I'm gonna ask for my FBI file. I did so, and it took them 10 months to reply. They sent one article about a political operation that I was involved in in 2016. This is long after we won the John Doe fight and then they checked three boxes on why they weren't gonna tell me anymore. Possible ongoing investigation, uh, sources and methods and something else. I, I went to the law firm, I appealed, and they shut me down. So in America today, and I have, my business is small and uninteresting, I've never had overseas business, I've never worked for a government or applied for a government job, and I have not, I don't, uh, I, I, there's just no angle. The article was political, so the FBI has a file on me that they won't tell me the rest about, and it's about my political activities, and that that is not good.
0: Yeah, you know, this is a, a really interesting intersection with this organization with me, is Eric and I have thousands of emails over the years, right? So thousands. So. They, they got a hold of all his emails. I mean, we know that. So my emails are in there. So I asked about anything that the FBI has on me. They don't have anything on me except all of the emails Eric and I have ever exchanged, right? <laughs> so this is really extraordinary and we should be exceptionally concerned about this, right? I mean the, the police state in the United States of America is out of control. At at every level, and this is, is there's a super important distinction I think we need to make here. Guy grew up in a law enforcement family. My mom was a reserve police officer in Los Angeles. A lot of you guys have met her. She's here. She retired as a sheriff's deputy in Nevada County, California. We, We love our local police, and most of the men and women on the front lines, most of them are good, but like any human organization, there are bad ones as well. And I think in a lot of cases, as they rise in the ranks and it becomes a political thing rather than strictly community service kind of law enforcement thing, it gets pretty nasty. And we know that it's nasty at the national level. Uh, Look, we can see it in district attorney's offices at the local level. They were involved in the John Doe. uh, And we see it by, and this is a really important intersection for us that we have to recognize. Look, we're new to this idea, us in our community. You know, more privileged people, middle class people, upper middle class people, they've been abusing the inner cities for a long time. And the reason they're so good at this is they have a lot of practice.
1: A a, a lot of practice, no pushback. By the way, in terms of the loyalty and attitude and the the real warrior support of this organization and this operation, um, in the wake of uh, over the, the years since the agenda, there were five targets of us that morning on October 3rd. And today, uh, two of them work for Citizens for Self-Governance. One of them works for my wife's organization at Ballotpedia. And I'm one of them, I, and I was elected chairman of the board. That's what our board thinks about the prosecutors, by the way, so I'm chairman of the board. So, so the way that Tim and Mark uh, uh, stuck with me and Patty and, uh, right from the beginning was just terrific. You don't know when you, when you, you, I stepped off a bit of a ledge there and I wasn't concerned really with what my adversaries would would do, I was concerned with my friends and my network and they were tremendously supportive around the country. Especially, I must say, the ones that didn't live in Wisconsin, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I wanna do one last quick question and leave a little bit of time for wrap up. I think this is really important. How does one avoid the swamp when getting involved in politics?
1: Um, you got to have a network. By the way, you got to have a network. Uh, it's it, the, the most, human society is very complex, and, and the system evolving is evolving. It's a complex system. You must talk. You must raise things. And really, the only sometimes I think if you're really engaged and you're getting to have clout in your state, you're going to have things that are you are not going to not know if it's a, like a friendly favor or a, or a, a something that might be maybe ethically questionable. People, legislators are going to want to help you. They're gonna help you. You have to to talk to other people to decide whether that help is uh, is really helpful and whether it's good to do. George Washington er, 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 was offered stock in an Ohio land plate, I think just before he was elected president. Yeah, it was in the early uh, 1780s. And he asked his friends, is this, I'm worried about the impact this might have on my reputation. George Washington asked friends, and it was, you know, that was a good question to ask. So all, all I would say is, this, by the way, in, in Wisconsin, I've sometimes been elevated, kind of like Mark did, and I appreciate nice things being said about me. Alone, I, would be, I wouldn't be here, I'd be doing time, right, alone. So I asked more people for help in the subsequent two years than ever in the rest of my life. Uh, I asked for help, I told people, I told people, and so, don't, you can't go it alone. And by the way, this is part apparently of the plan of whoever it is that put us here, is that we must engage and, and have relationships in order to be fully alive and be fully human. This is like exciting, daring, somewhat risky, but you, our, we can step up and accept it the way it is and deal with this reality that we don't necessarily love, or we can just try to coast and ride off the capital of our great predecessors and kind of coast out. Probably most of us in this room have a pretty good life the rest of our life, unless you really have a conscience and care about the future.
0: Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become
1: part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.